In the name of the one for whom we wait. Amen. I know it is Advent. But if you saw me driving down Route 2, singing along to the Christmas station at the top of my lungs, you would not know that I know that it is Advent. I bet many of us have some version of this. Christmas from the corniest songs on the radio to the tree that is currently filling half of our living room is just fun. Even if it is mixed with grief or complex nostalgia, this season offers us a genuinely holy joy, a joy that we surely need right now. And yet, even as we engage the treats of Christmas, brought to us early each year by our cultural and commercial realities, we Christians know that our deeper selves are called to Advent first. Lucia, our former, our forum presenter today, has shared an article with us. There's some copies hanging out. I hope you grab one and get a chance to read it. It's from the Times last week, and in it, Tish Harrison Warren wrote these words. To rush into Christmas without first taking time to collectively acknowledge the sorrow in the world and in our lives seems like an inebriated and overstuffed practice of denial. Indeed, an inebriated and overstuffed practice of denial. Denial is always easier than facing the truth, isn't it? Christmas is easier than Advent. The baby Jesus is much more inviting than the grown-up John the Baptist. As we hear John call the Pharisees and Sadducees, and probably us, a brood of vipers today, I shrink away from him a little and quietly ask him to please stop it with the vipers and the axe and the fire Can't you just be baby John from Luke's gospel, I ask? I want him to be leaping for joy in Elizabeth's womb, not yelling at us knee-deep in the muck of the Jordan in his camel hair. But there he is, judging in a way that makes us so uncomfortable. We tend in the Episcopal Church to consider ourselves perhaps one of the least judgmental of the denominations, and yet we are rooted in the gospel, and the gospel is inconveniently packed with judgmental language. What do we do with that? Now, growing up, I loved the Broadway musical Godspell. I know there's some other Godspell fans out here. I still love Godspell. This playful and moving rendition of the Gospel of Matthew is both joyful and quite judgmental. As much as I loved the colorful scenes and the singable music as a teen, I was really put off by some of the script of Matthew's gospel presented in such vibrancy on stage. Saved versus unsaved, sheep versus goats, righteous versus unrighteous, wheat versus chaff. This is Matthew. Now, we are on week two of a year of Matthew. Yay. (laughs) 
perhaps it's a good time to ask the question, what is up with Matthew and judgment? Well, while we might not choose the same words that Matthew chose, and we might not present things quite as harshly as Matthew's John the Baptist, when we open our eyes, we do see what they saw. And it's not good. I, and maybe some of you, wept this week over the death of a 16-year-old immigrant in a concrete cell, neglected as he suffered with and succumbed to the flu. Every day we see tragic death, abuse, oppression, hunger, pain. When we open our eyes, we see a world in desperate need of an incarnate God. And if we aren't assessing the problems that have put us so deeply in need, we will become part of those problems if we haven't already. Yet if we are seeing and naming the darkness, that's another way of saying if we are judging, we have the power to call Christ in to help us. Our hearts know that God's dream for us and the reality we live in are out of sync. Matthew's gospel is the story of that. It's the story of why this world needed God to be born among us. And Matthew's gospel is still so relevant. I will say that our habit of shifting Matthew's judgments from the judging of people to the judging of sins is helpful. You see, Matthew seems to be treating individuals as either good or bad. And if they're bad, they better repent and get good real quick or suffer eternal consequences. Too often, he defines people as goats to be condemned and as chaff to be burned. He wrote this from the point of view of an oppressed population with very little power in society. Through time, though, his words have been translated literally by privileged and powerful populations, leading to generations of Christians seeing themselves as righteous and the other as disposable. The Gospel of Matthew has thus quite unintentionally supported such atrocities as the gas chambers of the Holocaust. Not to mention slavery, racism, sexism, Islamophobia, and every other dehumanizing sin, precisely the kinds of transgressions that made John the Baptist call us a brood of vipers in the first place. Who are you, he asked, to consider yourselves better or more chosen than anyone else? God can raise up children even from these stones. That's, that's the truth of the gospel. And for the gospel of Matthew to bring us closer to that, closer to the kingdom, and not further into division and oppression, we need to turn our backs on any interpretation that causes us to judge in ways that dehumanize others. Instead, we can hear Matthew inviting us into a deeper sense of something that maybe we can call holy judgment. Holy judgment begins by the naming of the darker inclinations of our own hearts 
and getting down to the business of some internal tidying up. In Matthew 7th chapter, he tells us to remove the plank, the plank from our own eye before trying to remove the splinter from our neighbor's eye. And in that phrase, I think we have everything we need from Matthew for Advent, grounded in our belovedness and the truth that each of us is a wonderfully made child of God. Advent's a great time to look within and see where we may have gotten a bit off track from that, where we may have neglected to honor our own belovedness or the belovedness of someone else. We do a little housekeeping in Advent, don't we? Removing the planks in our own eyes and hearts. We use holy judgment to see the harm being done in the world around us and check ourselves to make sure we aren't contributing to it. We practice holy judgment as critics of our own agendas, critics of our own negligence. Using the holy judgment, we see that Christ is coming. And he's going to require a little something of us. A friend of mine says that Advent is preparation for the revolution. Yeah. Jesus' birth is not cute. It's a divine revolution storming creation, and we are being invited to be a part of that. If we believe that the arrival of Christ has the potential to revolve our world... If we know that our world needs just that, if we understand that John the Baptist sensed the vibrations of the Messiah coming to save us from ourselves, if we realize that Jesus, winnowing fork in hand, is ready to toss the chaff of our lives into the air to be blown by the wind into the fire, so that the grain of our hearts can fall at his feet, clear and uncluttered and ready to be used to feed this world. If we want to be instruments in the coming of Christ again this Christmas, then we must take this Advent season seriously. We must judge with humility, beginning with ourselves. We must be ready to go deep, clean house. Listen intently, voyage to the crash with great anticipation, and walk out of that holy barn with Christ in our hearts, ready to bring a new light into a hungry world.